All right, we're cooking with gas. All right, so what I did this week, and I really believe that uh, it's neat as well, is this week I just simply removed the chapter divisions. Now we understand, and maybe, maybe this, is, this is just a reminder for some of us, that um, the Bible was not written with chapters and verses. All right, that didn't come to 1557 by a man named William Whittingham. Whitting, Whittington, I think. Whittington him. Anyway, his name was William something. Um, 1557. And uh, the Geneva Bible, which was published in 1560, took hold of that format, because obviously it would have been a lot easier to study and read and, and preach from, right? You'd be able to, to split it into sections. So in 1560, that, that became the norm, and we see that from that forward. Um, so James, uh, it split up into five chapters. And me being a, a young man, and, and I've never known any different, I just read it in the chapters, right? I read it in the verses that they give me. Your Bible probably has, I'm going to say, titles at the top of it, which gives you an idea towards what that section is, right? Um, very valuable, um, but sometimes... Maybe I take a little bit too long of a pause, and I'll maybe close it, and I'll go do something else, and I'll come back, and I don't catch that that's all one thought as you work through it. I don't, I don't catch the flow of what James is writing. And uh, I think some, as I've been working through, and we've been in it a number of weeks, um, you know, I, I really feel just reading through it this morning will be very beneficial for us. So all I did was take the text um, from the Word, right, from the Bible that we hold, and I put it, and I just removed, and I, I highlighted different things, okay, and I structured it um, just as the flow of thought. I identified different things, like James says, my brethren, a lot. There's a pattern to that as you're reading through it, okay, my brethren, we understand that this letter is being written to believers, okay, that's the, the first and foremost, and uh, We'll just, we'll just get started. I'm going to try and limit my commentary. I've put it into this, and I just want to read it like the early church would have. Make sense? Okay. So James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. Now as we step into verse 2, and this is kind of the, the conclusion that I've come to after working through it there over and over is the context is James is writing to the ones that Jesus had sent out with that commission. Now we understand, and if you went online, you, you worked through that study about apostles, and how I believe that there was more than just 12. I mean, there, there, there's a number, Barnabas, and, and, and James himself in Galatians 1.19, um, and we start adding it up. So there were sent messengers, sent ambassadors that had apostolic gifts. We recognize they could heal right? They, they, they preached the word. They, they, they taught the word. Um, they, they gave signs and wonders. Stephen would be another example, right? They laid hands on him, and in chapter 6, he did mighty signs and wonders, and they couldn't resist him, the wisdom. Um, so as James is writing, it's to apostles, okay? It's to the ambassadors, right, that are going out with the commission of Christ. You study through the gospels, and these are the, the messianic judges, Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is preparing these men to, to rule, right, and to go out, and, and as Jesus is in heaven at the right hand, he's ruling, they're going to rule on, on behalf of him, but we also find 
our place. Because the apostles and the ambassadors were the church's example to follow. Right? We find our, our place today seeing the example of Jesus, reading the example of, of even as James is writing to them, that the truths are for us today without the apostolic gifts. Does that make sense? Like all of a sudden they're like, if we, anyway, that's just that, that was for them, okay? So my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field will pass away, for no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, that enticement to sin. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord promised to those who love him. Right? And that was that abiding, continuing obedience. Let no one say when he is tempted, enticed to sin, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own, his own personal desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Who's the letter written to? Believers. Right? Apostles and bachelors. It brings forth. There's, there's a consequence here for sin. That's pretty serious. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Notice that pattern. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. He brought us, He bore us, He, he brought us forth. All right, so then we step into verse 19. And it's almost like here James is getting ready to do some housekeeping. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, I want us to notice here, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. And if he's saying, therefore, that means that there are some that are living in wickedness. There are some living in that place of filthiness, right? He's calling this as a rebuke. Therefore, 
Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted work, word sorry, which is able to save your souls. Who's this written to? Believers. Right? So this isn't talking about heaven or hell. This is, the Greek work is suche, and, and it's, called, it's to speaking to the vitality of life. Life now, connected to the vine, spiritually with Christ, that affects your time in the kingdom. It affects standing before the judgment seat of Christ. When we make, keep making that, okay? It's not heaven or hell. It's your, your condition. It's your fellowship. But moreover, be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now, there were some obviously deceived here, right? What is the word that James is speaking of when you look at that? We're talking first century, right? James is writing. If it's placed at AD 44, there's no New Testament written. They say that James is one of the first. So what is the word? What are the instructions and commands that they're talking about here? Jesus is teaching, Okay, New Testament. Yeah, they had the Old Testament, but when it's speaking to the Word, think the Sermon on the Mount. Right? Jesus gave the disciples, the apostles, right, very specific instructions. Um, the parables are all specific instructions, the Word instructions for these men that were going to be sent out to, to disciple, to church plant, to start these, these bodies of Christ, right? So he's saying to the, these apostles, Right? Moreover, be doers of the word. Everything that you heard Jesus teach, right? You have to do it. There has to be a, a, an obedience. There has to be a response. And we'll, we'll get into the consequence because John chapter 15 says if you don't do, if you don't abide in the vine, the Father cuts you off. Right? You're broken fellowship. You're separated, and, and it's worthy of being burned. Right? So, burned and words like death are there. So for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Think about that. Right? If you spent time with Jesus and you choose not to obey, you're just looking in the mirror and you turn around and you forget everything Jesus taught you. Right? You forget everything there that he asked of you. You forget everything he commanded of you, and you go right back to the way you were living before. Right? Makes sense. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And I found there, just when I was putting it down in this form, it makes sense. The Sermon on the Mount... That was Jesus giving his messianic law. That was Jesus giving his instructions to the disciples to rule on his behalf when he's gone. Right? That is the law of freedom, not the Old Testament law. That was the teachings of Jesus that these apostles would go and begin their churches by. We're not saved by that, by that law. We're saved by faith in Christ. But that Sermon on the Mount directs and leads our lives. Right? So we have to obey it. We have to be doers. We turn the page. If anyone among you thinks he is religious, all right, we find ourselves on page two. I know how to put page numbers on this. Page number two. 
All right, now the context here, it seems, and you're going to catch this flow as we go on, it's all about doing, it's all about charitable deeds, it all has money attached to it. There's a lot of talk about earthly possessions and money in this book. Um, the rich, um, the greedy, the charitable deeds, and let's catch this. If anyone among you, right, and we'll just, just, just for, for giggles here, right, apostle, ambassador, um, the sent ones, and we have the, the church plants. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue when he deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. You remember the widow and the mite that gave her all she had, and Jesus said there, that woman is, it knows what it's all about, giving her everything. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit... That speaks to the needs of the widows, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. My brethren, I've tried to highlight that because that's almost like a new section each time. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. You have, not shown par have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become, these men are ruling for Christ, become messianic on Christ's behalf, judges with evil thoughts. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him, who are abiding, who are continuing in him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. What law? The one that Jesus gave on the Sermon on the Mount. If you go back and read through it there, it's all right there. You're convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all that Jesus commanded these disciples. For he who said, and Jesus says these, right, in the Sermon on the Mount, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the Messianic Law. And we understand that murder talks about that hate in your heart. Right? There's, there's, a, there's an attitude. I mean, even when you're giving to God, if you're lusting over a woman, there's sin in your life, and that giving amounts to nothing. We'll keep moving. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Right? And that's when we're standing before the judgment seat of Christ. Right? All the things that Jesus commanded us, He's going to go... How did you live this way? Do you remember there when I asked this of you or I was leading in this? That's when all our works are played out for all to see that law of liberty. 
For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. If you don't, if you don't meet the needs of that poor man or you, the Spirit's leading you to give and you don't do that, you will be shown no mercy at the judgment seat. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What does it profit, my brethren? Letters written to believers, right? If someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can faith save him? All right. Is this talking about heaven and hell? No, letters written to believers. This is all talking about judgment. This is talking about you answering for what you did in obedience to Christ's commands. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, <laughs> I see your need, but depart in peace and be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith, and you can read that, right? Recognizing the commands, right? You, you, you heard the words of Jesus. You heard him teach, right? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, does not have obedience, is dead. But someone will say, well, you have, you have your, your, your law and your teaching, but I have obedience. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Right? When you're giving and you're looking after those needs, you are, are following Christ's example, and they see what Christ commanded you. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the de demons believe and tremble. And we know that there is many that are going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not? But they didn't live in obedience. Right? And the door, door will be shut. We'll get there. Then. We'll get there. But do you want to know, foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was it not Abraham our father justified by works? When he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar, right? What's the, what's the context here? It's obedience, right? It's acting on Christ's commands. There's a lot of theological discussion around this, this passage, right? But was Abraham, not fought, was Abraham our father justified? Was not Abraham our father justified? Declared righteous outwardly, right? His testimony before men, his response uh, in the present for his future inheritance? Did that not all, all become one when he obeyed? When he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Um, I got some verses there for you. Uh, do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by his works, faith was made perfect or complete. And the scripture was fulfilled which says... Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified. All right, just use that atop. He was declared righteous outwardly, right, in the present and for his place in, in the kingdom. Justified by his obedience and not by the, the faith and commands of God only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Don't expect much at the judgment seat if you're not walking in obedience to what Christ commanded. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. 
For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things, prideful, arrogant things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity and injustice. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is unruly, evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the summitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt and water and fresh. Who, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. The wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For when envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are. Let's remember the context is still earthly things. And it's still, still money coming down through there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Got one more page. Where do wars and fights come from among you? All right, context. It's talking about earthly possessions. It's talking about, about money. It's talking about the, the needs, charitable deeds, alms. All right, this is what happens when you don't seek the kingdom and its righteousness. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure, that, that war or battle in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss to spend it on your own pleasures. All right, this is all about the benevolence of God and, and what God had promised, right? Right from, the, right from the throne to them. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that a friendship with the world is enmity with God? Right? The things that the Gentiles seek after. Right, the things that the world seeks after. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy 
of God? Or do you think that Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? You think about it, God wants to give them what He promised. But He gives more grace. Therefore, He says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, which means that some of them weren't. Right? Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from me, or from me, whoa, 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 from you. He will, that devil is an interesting study, because the, the diablos word, it speaks to slanderer, right? And, and culture has just kind of absorbed that in there, the slanderer. Um, resist the slanderer, and he will flee from you. This is an obedience thing. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse hands, sinners, and purify hearts, double-minded, Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. For those that have pens, just write Luke 6, 22. Luke's account there of the, the Beatitudes that's there, it's a little bit different than the one in Matthew. And it, and it has a, a woe to the rich at the end of that, Luke 6, 22, that speaks about the, the, the rich being brought down to mourning, right, and, and, and laughter to gloom. Do not speak evil of one another. Again, the context is talking about, about money. It's speaking evil of the positions. Luke chapter 12 opens up with that. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. What law? Jesus' law, right? The Messianic, the Sermon on the Mount. That's why we have to look at those texts, right? And judges the, the law that Jesus gave. But if you judge the law that Jesus gave, you are not doers of the law, but a judge. You're judging what Jesus commanded now. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? Come now, you who say... Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. And this is where we continue to see that context is money. Context is earthly possessions. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, Right? If it's in God's plan, if it's in God's purpose, if, that's what we seek and ask, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. Letters written to believers. Right? There are believers that are, are focused and entrenched in the things of the world. Right? You boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good with his possessions, with his money, and does not do it, to him it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Treasures in heaven. Your gold and silver are corroded, and the corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. 
Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, cry out, and cries of reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Who's the he? Just looking at that. I I tried to highlight it there because it took me a while to figure that out. That he's the victim. That he's the other individual that's being condemned, that's that's being hated or, or murdered there. He does not resist you. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Be long-suffering. Change your thinking here. Till the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Wait patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Who's going to condemn them? Jesus, the judge. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. That can be taken as an accountability, but also a praise. Jesus is coming. But if your life's not right, right, recognize this. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, I'm just reading here. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. That lets us know it's chastisement. Right? And as you're talking about that, it's apostles, ambassadors, the sent out ones, and the church plants that they're part of this. So they're closed, and I'm just thinking, this is kind of where James opened up in 119, right? They're uh, about, therefore, lay aside all the filthiness and wickedness. This is kind of the close. Confess your trespasses to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. Right? God's dealing with the sin, isn't he? There's chastisement, there, there's sickness. There's, there's death, 1 Corinthians 11 talks about. So this is a serious warning. This is a serious rebuke. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may get, be healed. Get your life right. Get your heart right. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Who did Elijah pray to? God, God, do this, right? And he, he had that nature. He was appointed messenger. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruits. 
Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a a suche, right? A life, the vitality of life. There's not heaven or hell here. Will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. I hope that blessed you. <laughs> Sit back, read it through, and, and, and my hopes are when we get to the end of the study, you're going to read that and go, I got this. All right. Well, if you just turn to the back page of... Uh, the notes there on page number six, and, and again, I'm not treating this as a classroom. Uh, well, I guess it is supposed to be a classroom, uh, in, in a way, um, equipping and what have you, but uh, I really, I got to put it in paper so that we're not just relying on what we remember when we leave this place, because uh, I know I, I spent a lot of years in the pew, and I don't remember, uh, I would say, anyway, it's hard, and I understand we're all very busy, and, and even just learning how to be a student, I mean, you probably didn't have any problems, Jake, when you come in as a freshman. You were just like, yeah, I got this, man. <laughs> anyway, that's why I put things on paper. I just want to look at some uh, different verses uh, just to kind of flesh this out, that it's written to apostles, ambassadors, the sent out, and recognize that even people back there in the first century equipped to cast out demons and heal the sick, right? they were departing from what Jesus had taught. They were, they, were, they, were, they, were, they were wandering. They, they found themselves turning back to Judaism. They found themselves back in religion. And you say, why or how? Well, they're humans, right? They're, they're, they have the sin natures. They're the same. Um, Satan is continually bombarding them with the fiery darts. And, and it is a good exercise to recognize because in our own lives, in our own churches, right? Um, we, have, we have many that have struggled and departed. I'm not saying they're not saved, but they're certainly not living, and they're not serving, right? And, and that's a very clear thing, and I don't think it's a very popular topic from the pulpit either. So I'm going to pray. Uh, please sense humility and a desire to work with anybody that wants to return, right? I mean, I mean we are here for, for all needs, uh, but we have to call sin, sin, and, and uh, that's what we'll do this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, I just pray that we would be sensitive to uh, just what you would have to say, sensitive to the needs and even just sensitive to time, Lord. We, I thank you that we could just read through your word, understanding what it says in one sitting. Lord, that's how they would have done it back in the day. And uh, Lord, I thank you that we're just patient in this and we just ask for, for the words that are ahead. Lord, I pray that you would speak. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. So just in our study, in the, the few moments, and I, I will not rush, I will cut out, you guys have the, the paperwork in front of you, but I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 6, um, just to begin this. Right, a couple of passages that stand out, just thinking about the apostles and ambassadors, and ones that are, are I mean, they sat underneath Jesus' teaching, um, at Pentecost, more than likely, experienced the, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the speaking of tongues, they're sent out with the commission, and yet we find them in, in dire straits, in this place. Um, Hebrews chapter 6, and just to, to grab a hold of this, we'll back up a couple of verses to 512 and we'll read through because uh, the writer, the author of, J of Hebrews 
is writing to churches, churches started by apostles, right? Churches started by men that, that gave them their beginnings and equipped them with the teachings of Jesus. It says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solo food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the world of word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. Or they're mature. They've been studying. They've been working through the teachings of Jesus. They've been wrestling with these things. Right? But solid food belongs to those who are mature or of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism, of the laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift. Uh, this is where we're going to pick up on, the, on the, the different men that were sent out apostolically, sent out there with the commission by Jesus. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers, we're talking about that supernatural apostolic powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put to an open shame. Just catch verse 7 and 8. For the earth with drinks the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. So those who are being used, those who are doing faith, Right? Instructions and commands and works. Right? Um, they're blessed in what you're doing. But verse 8, But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Now think about that. You come back up to the start. They were enlightened and tasted the heavenly gift and were partakers of the Spirit and tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age of the come. Is that talking about the unsaved? No, it's talking about believers. It's talking about these, these apostles, the ambassadors, those that have participated, placed their faith in Christ and what was done at the cross, sat underneath the teachings, and yet that word is they fell away. Right? They're falling away. And if they bear thorns and briars and reject an ear to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Looking at the notes, they return to religion. Right? They return to complacency. And I mean, that, that's that spiritual broken fellowship. Uh, do Christians today really walk away from serving in ministries? They serve for, for many years, sensitive to the Spirit, right? They're done great things for the Lord, but do they just walk away from ministries? They do all the time, right? Do, uh, do Christians really, after experiencing the intimacy of prayer with other believers, they just stop? They just cut it off? 
They do all the time. How about forsaking the assembling of themselves? Do believers, do Christians really do that just after years of intimate fellowship and again being used? And, and does that just stop? The big question there is, do they, do they stop doing those things expecting that God would do nothing? Is there no repercussions for these acts of disobedience and turning? That's ludicrous. Right? And for these men, these Christians, I mean, if it bears thorns and our principle comes from this, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Right? This isn't heaven or hell. This is being removed because you're disobeying. We're here. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, we'll just read from uh, verse 26. This is an interesting study. I haven't fleshed it all out, but it speaks pretty clear. And I mean, the, the, the words are your challenge, right? The words are preaching themselves, right? We have wayward people. We have wayward people in our families, wayward people in our churches, wayward people in our communities. We had a gentleman come in um, Saturday morning who hadn't been in church for, for years, but, but he had professed Christ. He's placed his faith in Christ at a, at a young age, and he used the word backslidden. All right, so the next step, we started talking about obedience. <laughs> right? you, you wonder why things are, your, your life is a little bit of a train wreck for the last X amount of years? It's because God isn't blessing you because you're living in disobedience. It's that simple. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. There's broken fellowship there. You're separated from the vine. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment. Wow, I mean, this, this letter is written to believers, right? Judgment, you're going to stand before Christ. There's also a present chastisement, right, that Hebrews talks about here in the next, uh, a little bit later, but... Uh, it talks about God chastises those he loves. That's a form of judgment, isn't it? Right? Makes sense. All right. For a certain fearful expectation of judgment, fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. For those that have placed their faith in Christ and then chose a life of disobedience, that's going to be a terrible, ter terrible, that's not a word, a terrifying thing to stand before Christ who died for you. Right? And he's just going to say, he's going he's to say, look, I gave you my commands, I made it very, very clear, and yet you rejected you departed, right? You chose disobedience. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge, what's it say? His people. Believers don't get to live however they want, right? There is an accountability that should have us trembling in our boots. For me, that, that was part of when I, I think that was part of my godly sorrow, when I was in, in Teen Challenge for that seven months, was recognizing that, yes, I've been forgiven for all of that, but I'm going to answer for those 10 years of living, we won't say, but, but living, living in the world, living for the world. Forgiven, completely forgiven. But it's going to be played out, right? And there's going to be consequences for that. It's seen in the kingdom. 
And we continue to look at that. It is a fearful thing to ha- fall into the hands of the living God. And we'll just pause, pause there. All right? So God deals with, we would, we would agree with that. God deals with and chastises. We continue to see that word death or, or fire and be burned, and it's not heaven or hell. It's God dealing with these messengers, these ambassadors, for whether they're obeying or not. God deals with, God removes those who choose not to obey. And even in the first century, guess what? Pulpits and pews that were once filled were empty because of disobedience. Right? They were empty because of disobedience. Men who knew, men who knew Jesus, right? Choosing not to obey. Turn with me to Matthew. Um, we'll just close with this, this verse. Matthew chapter 7. Oh, i got to pick one. Let's go to John, sorry. John chapter 15. Well, that's part of the reason why I keep putting it on paper. Because I don't have to cover everything, right? I'll rely on you guys doing it at home. <laughs> but John chapter 15, I will make mention that in 1 Corinthians 15 the great gospel passage that, that Paul gives, right? It talks about um, Jesus appearing to the 500, and then he makes this interesting comment that never really connected for me there before there, but it says, of whom many are sick in your midst. I'll just read it for you real quick. He was seen by James, by all the apostles. Then the last... Okay, here we go. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And that fallen asleep means death, right? And that's a, a serious warning. But um, John chapter 15 says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. I just want to catch this burn. Every branch in me, who is he writing to? The apostles, right? The specific there in these ones is the 12, right? They're, they're the messianic judges. They're the ones that are going to rule and represent Christ uh, in his absence. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, what's he do? The Father takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now that taking away, we remember there, we, we studied that. It was, I mean, they're even taken out of the church, out of the programs. Right? If you're going to disobey, you don't just continue there pretending nothing's going on, right? There, there's a taking away. You, speaking of the twelve, are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide, remain, continue, um, obey in me, that spiritual fellowship, and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, unless there's that obedience, unless there's that spiritual connection. Um, Neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone, verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, what's that abiding? Obedience. Obedience for spiritual fellowship. 
If anyone is not abiding, is, is not obeying the words and the commands and the instructions that Jesus gave, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. It's not talking about heaven or hell. Right? He's talking to 12 disciples that were very much <laughs> believers in Jesus. Right? Very much receivers. They, they were at Pentecost. They received the Spirit. But there is a serious, serious tone to this. Right? Death, burn, removal. Those words are a serious tone for believers that choose to disobey. Are there Christians today suffering in health because of disobedience? I would say yes, that's part of God's chastisement. That's part of, if you, were, if you were a believer, let's say there even as a child, and I was meditating on this a little bit this morning, you know, what made my life for 10 years so wretched? Right? So, I mean, like, it was just unbelievable the, the, the lengths that God took to break me. Now, part of that is because I have a very stubborn will. Right? But the things, not necessarily the things that I did, but the things that were done to me, the loss I experienced, the health, the, the, the mental, we say depression, but the confusion that was going on, the suicidal thoughts, why was that there? That was my chastisement. That was God breaking me. That was God, in a way, you know, removing me and giving me that ultimate choice to come back. And I'm thankful for that. I was praising Him. So are there Christians today suffering in health because of disobedience, um, struggling mentally, emotionally, financially, maritally, family, uh, even, even death? And the Bible says yes. Right, and that's the principle here. God deals with the disobedience of believers. And I'll just close this morning, and I, and I want a good note because we do have the, the end of James that calls for us to turn sinning believers back. But what does the church say to that? Is that a message that we talk about at our, at, our, at our tables? Is that a message that we talk about at our deacons level? Is that a message that, that we talk about when we're looking for leaders in our ministries or, or counseling sessions? I mean, somebody comes in, it's like, okay, well, where, where is your obedience to Christ? Is your life surrendered to Christ? We need to start there before your life's going to get any better. Where is that in our thought process as the church? James 5.19, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, do you know someone today? You know, <laughs> I think we all know at least one person that, that is a believer. They've placed their faith in Christ. Right? If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way, it's written to believers, will save a soul, right? Save, save the vitality of life, this life as well as the, the consequences that will be seen in the kingdom, will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. As I pray, I just want you to think of that one, one person, that one person that you know is a Christian, Right, that you know has placed their faith in Christ and, and, and they're very comfortable in their sin. Right? They're, very, they're very casual with their life choices. Right? And, and we can't force them, but we can certainly 
Well, confront would be a good word, lovingly. We can certainly speak to that. And you may just be that, that step in between, and again, it's not heavy or hell, but, but it's saying, hey, and again, I remember the one, there's one, say, young lady who left church service in Flesherton, Rock Mills, um, Stephen Lamont's church. She left the message moved by the Spirit, and she come right to where I was renting, uh, renting with a roommate and all us guys, Sunday morning, right, around, right after church, um, their church, we didn't go to church, standing around, cooler in the back, doing what guys do, doing what tradesmen do on Sunday afternoons. And she come up, right up, 12 guys standing around that truck, and she said, Jeremy, I know the Spirit lives in you. How can you be living this way? And she was living out this verse. Dearly Father, Lord, um, we thank you just for this time. Lord, these aren't easy things. These are things that you do through us. So I would pray that each of us would just pause and make sure that we are in fellowship with you. We are connected to the vine. Lord, we are intimate. Uh, our hearts are examined. And Lord, then we would be surrendered to the works. Lord, we know your commands. There are people here that have been saved longer than I've been alive here this morning. We know your commands. But Lord, we, we need your help. We need your leading. Uh, Lord, we need to bend our knee to the works, the obedience to that. And I pray that you would give us a name. Lord, you'd give us an opportunity. Lord, you'd give us the boldness in leading to, to go and just have that conversation. Because we all know at least one person. Help us to, to make this a, a passion in our church family. And again, we thank you for this time. I pray that these texts would just come alive for us. And we give this day, we give the coming week to you in your name. Amen. Is there any music we could play, Neil?